Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is another live edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. The Andrew Lawton Show, Tuesday, June 13th, 2022, back in the regular... I'm not even back in the regular studio. I've been bouncing all around lately. I'm back behind my, like, real, regular, trusty microphone, although I've had to move around rooms as the uh, home renovations you may have heard in the background of certain episodes of this show have carried on. It's a little bit of a quiet respite right now, but if you start hearing, like, jackhammering or something in the middle, you'll know it's... uh, If the house just uh, collapses underneath me, uh, you'll know to send for help. In any case, hope you're all having a wonderful week so far. I am COVID-free, which is more than we can say about the Prime Minister of Canada, who apparently picked up the COVID again while traveling through the United States. We'll talk about that later on. But first, I want to focus on a podcast interview he did with Crooked Media in which he went towards his favorite pastime, which is wading into American political fights. Take a look. There are debates, and we have a a, a culture where the difference is guns can be used for hunting or for sport shooting in Canada, and there are lots of gun owners, and they're mostly law-respecting and and, and law-abiding, but you can't use a gun for self-protection in Canada. That's not a right that you have in the Constitution or anywhere else. If you try and buy a gun and say it's for self-protection, no, you don't get that. You get it for hunting. You can get it for sport shooting. You can take it to the range. Uh, no problem, as long as you go through our rigorous background checks. But there's a difference around the culture. And one of the things that we're yeah. seeing with the debate in the States is you get more and more of the American-style, you know, right-to-carry, self-defense arguments filtering up through through the, uh, you know, the, the usual more right-wing communications channels. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, and I, I want to delve into it in a way that is rooted in fact, because there's some stuff that he said that, okay, I can understand, and I, I think he, he's technically correct. There are other things, though, where I, I don't think he is, and I have to wonder if he's trying to just sow misinformation about the gun laws in Canada, or if he himself perhaps is in the dark. Uh, but let's stick to the facts here. Joining me on the line now is the fantastic criminal lawyer, Sam Goldstein, who it's been far too long, and I've not had him on. So this is as great an opportunity as any. Sam, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on and joining us live today. Well, thank you. Long time listener, first time guest. (laughs) Uh, Well, you're very kind, sir. So... Obviously, when we're talking strictly about a rights-based discussion, which is what Justin Trudeau alluded to in that clip, no, we don't have the right to firearms ownership in Canada. We don't have a a right to self-defense with a firearm. But at the same time, when he says you can't use a gun for self-defense, that also seems to be not correct. There have been a a number of cases in in Canada where people have used a firearm in self-defense, and in some cases they've been charged and they've had to fight for their right and have have won, but it seems like it's not accurate to say that right or that ability does not exist to use a firearm in self-defense. Yeah, you are correct. Uh, technically speaking, there's no you know charter right um, to, to use a fire uh, firearm, but in fact, Section 34 of the Criminal Code, uh, the right to a defense, would include the right to use a weapon against another person who is um, attacking you with, for example, a weapon, and even if the person didn't have a weapon, it's possible, given the certain circumstances, that you could use a weapon who doesn't have a weapon in order to defend yourself. So 
this idea, and I know, for example, just per, a personal experience, when I got my restricted firearms license, one of the questions that the police asked me when I was getting it is, why do you want it? And the reason I wanted it was not to keep a handgun in the nightstand, but it was for a target shooting, for sport shooting. And if you look at the firearms regulations, I think those are basically the only two uh, criteria to have a gun, to be using it for sports shooting or to be using it as a or having it as a collector. And there's a, a special category for people that, you know, are, are given the right to own a firearm for protection. But it's a very, very narrow category here. So so th there is still something to be said that you cannot own a firearm for the purpose of self-defense in Canada. Correct? Yeah, correct. I mean, the people who can. Um, get firearms for solely for the purpose of self-protection would be police officers, security guards, um, people in the army and so on. So um, again, he's technically correct. You wouldn't be able to say, well, I want a firearm because I want to protect myself. You can get a firearm or long gun for that matter um, for hunting or um, collecting and or uh, also for shooting. Um, but that doesn't eliminate the fact that you can use a firearm if, if the circumstances require to defend yourself. And, and that was changed back in the Harper years. Um, can't remember exactly the year 2010 or 12 or something like that, where he changed the concept of citizens arrests and expanded the definition of, of self-defense. And I think that's really important to point out um, because one of the things he, he did with the expansion of self-defense, for example, would be um, if you're being attacked by somebody, you could steal a car in order to escape, right? So you could commit an offense in order to escape that person. Whereas before, the self-defense only applied to uh, kind of assault over violent type of behavior. Um, so he expanded the definition and added a number of sort of criteria that make the defense itself very idiosyncratic. But it, it would also allow an individual um, as I said earlier, if you were being attacked by someone who didn't have a firearm, depending again upon your actions and the, and the circumstances, you would be able to defend yourself by using the firearm against that person. Uh, you don't need to be the first one to be the actual, uh, to the actual you resort to violence. So if there's a threat of violence and you believe that threat of violence um, against you or a family member for, for argument's sake, would be lethal, then you could use a firearm in that type of situation. So he's completely wrong in simply claiming that you could never use a firearm in self-defense. And just going back to those changes that you alluded to from the Harper years, Sam, were these things that were already reflected in the common law that were just being codified, or, or were these protections that really didn't exist in Canada in a consistent way before the Harper government put them in? Yeah, that's a very good question. In, in some ways, they existed, uh, as you say, common law in the sense of there were just simply cases out there which allowed it. Um, remember, statute when you when you codify something, you put it into a statute, you could limit the you could limit the, the common law statute mm -hmm. presence over uh, any case law. Um, but in some ways, the Harper government expanded it as well. Um, for example, one of the big expansions, which I just pointed out, is it could apply to a situation where you could. Not, you know, to, not to be redundant, but you could steal a car in order to uh, escape from being uh, from being attacked. So he broadened it, um, added uh, added um, the concept of prior spousal behavior. So if you're a spouse and you have a long, consistent 
um, uh, situation where there's domestic assault taking place, that would factor into a, a, a common law, uh, the self-defense, sorry. And in fact, would enable you to use a gun against a spouse who you think is about to attack you. And you have a history of that, of that person. So he expanded it um, in ways to protect uh, spouses, primarily in a domestic assault situation, women. So, I mean, if we do have, as you mentioned, this common law protection of self-defense, then a, a statutory protection of self-defense, which, as I understand, Trudeau ha has not repealed or or even changed in, in any substantive way here. How do we get to a discourse where the prime minister is saying, yeah, I mean, this is all just these American conservative media outlets that are talking about this. We don't have this right in Canada. Well, Andrew, it, 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 we rely upon good journalists like yourself to keep pointing this out. I mean, I certainly, you know, see it and hear it from people like yourself. I see it in the National Post. But you're right. The reality is, is he's importing um, American culture into Canada. I, I remember, Andrew, and I'm sure you may also remember a little bit in the 1960s and 70s to, you know, there was a wave of Canadian nationalism, which was very anti-American in which mm -hmm the way we defined ourselves was to make sure that American culture didn't seep into Canada. But now it just seems that these, and, and now it seems like the groups like the, the liberals and the NDP do everything that we can to import American values and culture into, into the discourse in Canadian politics. And it's very sad to see. Yeah, and it muddles the discussion further. I, I mean, obviously, we're in the midst right now of a period in which the Liberal government is pushing its firearms uh, bill that we talked about on the show a couple of weeks back, and there are a lot of problems in that. But I, I think that ultimately, it tends to rely on the fact that most Canadians are not gun owners, and ergo, most Canadians don't really understand the rigidness and strict nature of gun laws in Canada. So when you get someone saying, who is the Prime Minister, yeah, you don't have a right to use a firearm in self-defense, it's what contributes to this moral outrage in some of these tragic situations where a lawful gun owner is in a situation where they need to use a firearm in self-defense. And we've seen a number of cases in this country where that person is then charged, that person is the one treated like they've done something wrong, even if they eventually beat those charges. Yeah, listen, uh, let, let me give you a good example of, of, you know, how tough and restrictive Canadian gun laws are. So underneath the Harper, so what Harper, one of the things Harper did in, in, in his term um, was it used to be that if you had a firearm, you would have to apply for a license just simply to drive your firearm to the gun range. Yes, the, uh, the ATT. Right. And so it's it's almost like if you have a driver's license, you have to apply for another driver's license, another permit, another license to go grocery shopping. OK, so Harper said, well, this is just crazy. Um, it's just uh, it's not protecting the public in any way. And it's just creating, you know, it's almost like a tax creating revenue for the government. We're just going to get rid of that extra requirement to get a license to drive to the grocery store. When the Trudeau government came in and, and they opposed it, and what did they say? Oh, he's making it easier for people to get guns in Canada. He's destroying our, our restrictions. Uh, this is an example of the Harper governor conservatives being soft on crime, right? Total nonsense, right? But when he came into power, what did exactly he do? He reimposed this requirement to get a license um, to go to the grocery store. 
Yeah, and, and this is, again, the big thing. And the fact that uh, after the horrific Nova Scotia shooting, we had uh, the sweeping ban on, on 1,500 types of, of firearms in Canada, uh, the fact that it was after the Uvalde massacre at the school in Texas, again, a tragic event that we have this Canadian bill introduced. There seems to be this this unwillingness to accept that these legislative changes that are being proposed have little to no bearing on the events that seem to give the government the political thrust for it. And I mean, Canadians just keep getting hoodwinked by this. Yeah. And, and you know, there's an important um, issue going on, which you may not be aware of, is that, you know, the, the Trudeau government is now appointing all these liberally appointed um, judges, right? And yeah. these are very anti-firearms. And so every five years when a person has to renew their firearm, uh, they now have to go through a, uh, a complete personal, uh, sorry, a, a complete um, safety check that goes back throughout their entire life. And so we have, we've given tremendous powers to these chief firearms officers who can take away your license if, you know, if you get a, a succession of traffic tickets, right, for speeding for argument's sake. And they're going to argue, and this is actually a real case where they argued that my client, um, you know, showed a disregard for the traffic laws and therefore shouldn't be able to renew his license, despite the fact that I tried to argue that this was an analogous type of situation. You had a liberal appointed judge who agreed with the firearms officer and took away this person, uh, wasn't, didn't renew this person's firearm license. Right? So there's that aspect of the cultural war going on as well. That's just as important, as equally as important as any sort of statutory amendments that the, the Liberal government make. Very well said. Criminal lawyer Sam Goldstein joining me here. Sam, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for talking about this issue and inviting me. Hey, it's an important one. We appreciate it very much. And I always am up against, you know, I'm, I'm banging my head against the wall a lot of the times when the government talks about things because I'm watching and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, Surely he knows the system. Surely he knows the laws. So he's then just trying to rely on the fact that the people listening to him don't necessarily know them. And again, it's not a coincidence that that interview took place in the United States, where he's talking to this friendly American podcast audience that doesn't know the laws in Canada, that right now is outraged at gun ownership because of that Texas massacre and the school killings there. And then you also have Justin Trudeau swooping in there and saying, oh yeah, it's all about Fox News and Republicans and all of that that are seeping into Canada. And, and as I was talking about with Sam there, the right to self-defense is a right that, yes, is protected by statute thanks, uh, thanks to the conservative government under Stephen Harper, but long before then, long before then was established in the common law because it stands to reason that if someone is uh, inflicting violence against you or is about to, that you have the right to defend yourself through proportionate means available to you, which for the law abiding is firearms. And I, I should have pulled the clip before today's show. Maybe we'll bring it up in a, another show in the future. But uh, in my documentary, Assaulted, Justin Trudeau's War on Gun Owners, I think it was in the fourth and final episode, we talked about rural gun ownership, which is a, a category of its own, because you get people like Justin Trudeau that say, oh, no, 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 we're not getting in the way of farmers with their guns and rural folks with their guns. We're, we're not doing anything about that. 
And there was one gentleman I spoke to who lived out in, I believe it was Nanton, Alberta, but it was rural Alberta near Okotoks, uh, just south of Calgary. And he is one of these guys who had a has had guns, legally owned guns, and he had a very much, to, he had a problem one day where he had people rummaging around in his house in the dark. And he fired a warning shot into the ground to get their attention. And then police came, arrested him, took away his guns, and it took months and hundreds of thousands of dollars for him to fight to clear his name. And he eventually did. He cleared his name. He beat the rap. Another guy in Port Colburn, Ian, I, it was, I forget his last name, but Ian was his first name. Uh, very similar thing. He had people that had firebombed his house. They injured his dog. They destroyed the dog house. And this was again in the middle of the night. He has a gun. No one gets hurt. No one gets hurt, but he's the guy that ends up having to go to court to clear his name. So there is an attack by the government and by the crown on people that lawfully use their firearms for self-defense. So if we're talking strictly about the question of rights, yeah, it's tough to say you have an ironclad right to self-defense in Canada in the sense of the practice, the practice of it. But you do, in fact, if you talk about the law, the spirit of the law, and just fundamental human nature, natural law, you do have a right to self-defense. You've always had a right to self-defense. And to defend yourself, you can use the means available to you as long as they are reasonable to the threat, reasonable to the situation. So no, if someone's firing a water gun at you, I don't think you can take your AR-15 out and shoot them. But if there's a legitimate threat against your life, you are allowed to use firearms to defend yourself based on what the courts have determined, what the letter of the law says. And when Justin Trudeau gets up there and not just says that the right to self-defense doesn't exist, but also to blame American conservative media for it. It's like he only has his go-to talking points and nothing else. That's it. It's like he's got the two buttons. He's got uh, 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 abortion good, Fox News bad, and uh, Trump. I mean, he has the three buttons and that's it. Anything beyond that, he doesn't know. Those are the talking points. Maybe it was a symptom of the COVID. I don't know if you saw this, uh, but Justin Trudeau tweeted out this morning that he has caught COVID. But I think the best thing about this is that he says, I've tested positive. I'll be following public health guidelines and isolating. I feel okay, but that's because I got my shots. So if you haven't, get vaccinated. And if you can, get boosted. Let's protect our healthcare system, each other, and ourselves. Now, it takes a lot of hubris to use an announcement that you've got a disease as a public service announcement to tell people to get vaccinated against that disease when you yourself got vaccinated, you know, triple, triple dosed or whatever. So he's saying, he's saying, yeah, I've got COVID uh, for the second time in four months after getting vaccinated. Make sure you get vaccinated and then get boosted, which is particularly great. So it doesn't matter now. And anyone who thought that COVID was going to be something that you could protect yourself against getting by getting boosted is clearly not the case. Anyone and everyone right now is getting whichever strain, whichever variant of COVID is going around. Uh, there is, a, I think, a legitimate argument that uh, against the earlier strains, yes, the vaccines protected against severe outcomes. But right now, absolutely everyone I've met who's gotten COVID in the last three months, vaccinated or unvaccinated, has said that it was just like a cold. Now, that's not to say it cannot be worse for some people. I believe it can. I've been candid with you that I'm vaccinated and I believe in the protection that vaccines 
vaccines historically afforded. But as of late, I think we've all just started to see through it. And that's why so few people, I think, have gotten the booster shots, because they're seeing that Justin Trudeau, who got COVID in January, has now gotten COVID again. Now, maybe, maybe, just maybe, the one he got when the truckers were coming to Ottawa wasn't a real a diagnosis of COVID, and this is the proof of that. My first thought, and I, I said it on Twitter this morning when Trudeau announced that he had COVID, was that there must be, like, another protest scheduled, and he has to, like, find an excuse to get his butt to Harrington Lake. But I'm not aware of any protests, so it could be an actual COVID diagnosis. We just don't know. But what we do know is that he was asked why he is so inconsistent with his mask wearing when he was in in the U.S. the other day. I'm going to play a clip of this in just a moment. What I should have done is gotten the montage because here's a guy when he's hanging out with uh, Canadians, he'll wear a mask, but then he was meeting the nonagenarian queen in England and didn't wear a mask. And then he meets Joe Biden and sits down with him without a mask. But when he's like going out for a jog, he's wearing a mask. Like, so the guy just wears it. It's like he forgets that, oh yeah, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to commit to this. But now when he goes anywhere else that doesn't have a mask mandate, he, he's like the rest of us. He just ripped it off as quickly as he can. But here's what he said when he was asked why. The government continues to support mask mandates in the House of Commons and in federally regulated places like airports, for example. But it appears that you wear a mask inconsistently and depending on different situations. The Ontario government is lifting the remaining mask mandates very shortly. Do you still believe that a mask mandate should be in place? And if so, in what types of situations? First of all, I understand how tired everyone is of the pandemic, of the different rules and restrictions that we have to go through. But most people understand that this pandemic is not over yet. We continue to see our hospitals filled with people suffering tremendous consequences. We continue to see more spreads. We continue to run the risk of new variants. And every step of the way, we will continue to be guided by the very best science we can because our first and primary responsibility is to make sure we're doing everything we can to keep people safe. Follow the science, try to feel like I got to start taking shots and turning a drinking game into it. So uh, he followed the science all the way back from LA and now he has COVID. And, you know, I don't wish ill on anyone, truly. And I don't want to say that he is making it up because ever, I mean, COVID's going around. It's, it's flying around. He was sitting down with Joe Biden on Thursday. So maybe he gave it to Joe Biden. Maybe Joe Biden gave it to him. Uh, maybe he got it when he was doing selfies with celebrities like that guy from Mythbusters or whatever. Who knows? Doesn't matter. Could have been anyone. Maybe he got it from Idris Elba. I think that's normally the way that uh, the Trudeaus uh, get these communicable viruses. But let me just point out that it's very convenient that he has it right now from traveling internationally at a time when everyone is getting a little wary of, including members of the Liberal Caucus, the travel-related vaccine mandates. And this is why, and again, I'm not saying he's making it up, but I'm saying it's very convenient timing for him politically because Canadians have had enough. The airport delays are out of control. And moreover, what we're all seeing here is that even liberals, even liberal MPs have had enough. Hill Times had a piece from Abbas Rana, the quote, massive majority, unquote, of liberal caucus wants Trudeau to drop federal COVID mandates, say liberal MPs. So liberal MPs are leaking to the Hill Times saying, yeah, the majority of the caucus wants these done. 
But he gets up and says, oh, we got to follow the science. He's asked about mask wearing. He wasn't wearing a mask for most of the trip. He comes back. He has COVID. So he'll say, oh, see, this is a learning opportunity for us all. It's all evidence why we must get boosted. It's evidence why we must stay vigilant, why we must continue to wear masks. And that the script just writes itself. Because this is all we've been hearing now for the last two years. That no matter what we do, it's not enough. We always need to do more. When lockdowns don't work well, we didn't lock down enough. When masks don't work well, people aren't wearing enough masks. When vaccines don't work, well, we all need to get a third dose. And then eventually it'll be a fourth dose. When the Prime Minister telling us that he's got the science under control gets COVID twice in four months, I think it's safe to say that maybe the Canadian approach just isn't working. How many times has Joe Biden gotten COVID in the last six? To be honest, I don't think he's gotten COVID. I might be wrong about this, but I can't recall Joe Biden getting COVID. Maybe uh, my producer can look this up for me and and fact check me in real time. See, we're not afraid of the fact checks here on the Andrew Lawton Show. I don't think he, again, I could be wrong. I'll tell you in a second one way or another when I get the little message from above. But regardless... Sean, Sean is saying he hasn't. So uh, Joe Biden, who presides over a country which is like COVID freedom, has not gotten COVID. Boris Johnson in the UK. I was just in the UK last week. And in the UK, I did not see anyone wearing a mask except for Canadian tourists, which is like how things were when I was in Florida some months ago as well. Uh, so in the UK, no one wears a mask. I was on a flight from uh, the UK to Dublin to get home, and that flight, no one wore a mask, and I'm still fine. I actually have a better batting average on the COVID than Justin Trudeau does, and I wear a mask pretty much never, unless I'm forced to by law, and that is only on airplanes because they will threaten to like pull you off like United Airlines and that dentist a couple of years ago if you don't wear the mask on the flight. So that's basically it. So somehow I've managed to be... Uh, better at evading COVID than Justin Trudeau, uh, despite he's the one that's got Teresa Tam in his ear telling him about the science. So why is anyone listening? Why is anyone taking COVID prevention advice from a guy who's gotten COVID twice in the span of five months? I think it's safe to say that maybe, just maybe, these preventative measures that governments are hawking aren't actually doing anything about a very virulent, but thankfully less severe strain of COVID that's just going around as normal. And maybe the boosters that were provided to us as being uh, these ascendant things that were going to protect us all haven't actually done all that much and haven't been all that necessary. But this is the Canada in which we're living. We're all supposed to trust that the people who are getting COVID because they're on these little international junkets, uh, they have it in control and they're after our best interest. And again, I think think it's very convenient and he's going to use this as an excuse to keep the mask mandate in effect and keep uh, other travel restrictions in effect just because he got it from, you know, Joe Biden or whoever else it was that he was partying with in the United States last week or uh, I guess over the weekend. Again, L.A. partying. In any case, I wanted to shift to this story in CBC, which I find quite interesting here. And this is something I I, I should take a, a little bit of a brief aside here because I have a book coming out 
in 11 days called The Freedom Convoy, the inside story of three weeks that shook the world. This is, as I shared with you last week, my first book, so I'm really excited to share it with you all. It's not too long. It's about 200 pages, and it's based on hours and hours and hours of interviews with a lot of the key movers and shakers and volunteers behind the Freedom Convoy, and also my own experiences on the ground covering this in Ottawa as it was happening back in January and February. But the reason I'm sharing it now is a little bit of a a shameless self-promotion, but I'm actually trying to say thank you to you all because I I just looked and today, actually right now on Amazon, it is the number three book on the Amazon bestsellers charts. It's number one in politics, number one in international politics, but number three overall. And that is all because of you who have decided you are going to show up and support this story and because you believe that the story has to be told. And the reason I wrote it is because I believe that story has to be told and people needed to not let the Toronto Star and and CBC have the last word. So thank you to all of you. Uh, Number one, right? Number two is a novel I've I've never heard of by a a woman named Colleen Hoover, which perhaps is lovely. Number one is this, uh, this, this book, How the Prime Minister Stole Freedom which is, again, I've not read it yet, but I've heard good things about it. It's more of a a children's book, a a satire that is uh, illustrated, and and the illustrations look quite good. Uh, Obviously, I'm a little bit jealous that it's pulling up number one, so hopefully I can just take the number one spot for like a day just to say I got there. But uh, either way, you know, I'm happy with the stories that are being told, and I want more people telling these stories and and more people reading them. So I just wanted to say thank you to you all. I'm going to be plugging it lots more, especially as we get closer to the release date of June 24th. But I want you to catch to latch on to that idea that I just shared of not letting CBC have the last word because CBC had a story that it put out on on Saturday that as of right now has not been updated and there, there's a significant factual error in there that has not been corrected despite my attempts to bring it to their attention on Twitter. And it's about, in some ways, Pat King. Now, Pat King, I, I talked about him a little while ago, one of the people who was involved in the Freedom Convoy. Now, he wasn't an organizer, but he was there. He was a booster of it. He was broadcasting and streaming from there. And he has been in jail for 115 days on charges of counseling mischief and and all these other sort of things that have been added to people that were caught up in these uh, Freedom Convoy dragnets. But, you know, I I don't have a lot of time for Pat King. And I've said this time and time again. I, I think his voice does more harm than good. I think convoy organizers were right to distance themselves from him. I've never met the man, and yeah, you can say that some of his controversial comments were taken out of context, but there are other, have been other things he said that in context I find objectionable, and I, I don't really care what happens to him in the sense of not caring about whether he has a voice or not. But I, at the same time, I have to separate that personal feeling from the feeling I have about the tremendous injustice that has taken place against him. Because it matters to me that everyone has a voice. It matters to me that everyone has a voice and that everyone has the ability to speak out. And it's up for people who consume those, who consume those audience, who consume, who become part of an audience to decide whether they want what someone else is selling. And all of that is to say that right now, Pat King is behind bars for reasons that have not been made clear. 
There's no evidence that he poses a serious threat to the world. He seems to be a big mouth, a loud mouth, whatever you want to call it, and certainly that was apparent throughout the convoy, but the threat of violence is not there. And those comments that I alluded to earlier that have been taken out of context, things like, oh, you know, it's going to be it's going to end with bullets and stuff like that. Those were him making predictions. They were not him making threats so far as I've seen. Again, I mean, if someone wants to pony up evidence to the contrary of him actually making threats, then fine, I'll reevaluate this. But what happens to Pat King is what's happening to people when we talk about free speech fights, too where people who are objectionable in some way are targeted by the state because no one's going to stand up for them. Because no one wants to be the one that sticks their neck out and says, oh, well, yeah, you know, I don't like what that person says, so I'm not going to stand up for their right to free speech. Uh, Pat King had a hard time finding a lawyer. He had a hard time finding a lawyer. He went through a few, and, I, and again, I don't know the ins and outs. I don't know if he was firing them or if he just couldn't find lawyers that were willing to take his case. But it wouldn't surprise me if it were the latter. If there were lawyers that even criminal lawyers that are saying, eh, well, you know, I'm not sure I want to go near that guy. But I believe everyone has a right to a defense. He's got a lawyer now, a woman from Ottawa. I hope she's mounting the best defense possible. And I hope that he's given an honest shake at getting out on bail, as has been extended to other people connected to the Freedom Convoy, like Tamara Leach and, and Chris Barber. And this CBC story about Pat King actually mentions Tamara Leach. And I want to read the line here. Others arrested during the protest, such as Tamara Leach and Chris Barber, are awaiting trial on bail. However, they are active on social media promoting adjacent movements, including election campaigns and future protests. Uh, well, you know, Tamara Leach is prohibited under her bail conditions from being on social media. So there's actually no evidence that she has a social media account at all. I've spoken with her on a couple of occasions. She's allowed to speak privately, and she's actually complained about how she's not allowed to be on social media. But CBC is accusing her without evidence of being in violation of her bail conditions. And two days after publishing this, actually two and a half days, because it was at 4 a.m. on Saturday that the story went up. Uh, two days after, two and a half days after publishing this, they have not corrected the record at all. And CBC is literally peddling misinformation about Tamara Leach. And this is why, to go back to the book for a moment, I wrote it. Because there was so much misinformation circulating from the people that we're being told are the gatekeepers of truth, the ones who have the right to fact check the rest of us. And they were the ones passing off things that were just blatantly untrue about the convoy, about the people in the convoy, about what the convoy was actually fighting for, and every other part of this movement. So if you want to take a stand for truth, buy The Freedom Convoy, the inside story of three weeks that shook the world. Uh, but more importantly, just call out these factual errors when they arise. I mean, I just tweeted out, I think it was like a one-line email or a two-line uh, tweet, rather. Uh, not email, I don't tweet out emails, but a two-line tweet about this when I saw this saying, uh, you know, CBC, point to one place where she's on social media, you can't. And that got thousands, thousands of people engaging with it just because they need to be called on this. It's when you don't call out the inaccuracies and the factual errors and misinformation that these things tend to fester and become the accepted truth. 
Just like the so-called arson in Ottawa during the convoy, the stealing food from the homeless incident, the desecration of the Terry Fox statue and all of these things. These things get cited over and over again because people don't nip them in the butt and neutralize them immediately, which is what you need to do when someone is sowing misinformation and sowing discontent just to hijack what it is that you're all about. So that's my TED Talk for today. We have got to end things there. My thanks to all of you for tuning into the program. We'll have lots more in a couple days' time on Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.